Well, good morning. We're kind of ending this series on whatever you do, your work matters, and it's interesting because I um, had planned to uh, speak on this months ago, and, and the topic that I thought, well, let's end this with would be this whole idea of your work and eternity. And it's amazing how God works because I didn't plan that on Tuesday at 1.39 p.m., October 11th, my father, using biblical words, fell asleep and went to be with the Lord. And I, so many of you, I know some of you know and have, uh, have expressed your, um, your heartfelt um, condolences and thank you. Um, yet I, I bring that up because uh, as a result of that, as I've been working this message, and I just think God's timing is, is interesting on all that, eternity seems so much closer to me. It, um, it's so much more real as a result of that. And uh, it, it just doesn't seem as far away. It's surprising how God seems to order things and who would have thought on this day and this week. Yet what I want to have us think about today is, is this simple thought. What of your work will last? Do what you do on a regular daily basis, whatever you do, does it have staying power more than just this life? Does this earth and everything that is in it just burn up and get thrown onto the eternal trash heap, right? So that at a certain point we just go, we're done with this, we discard it. And, and if, if that's the case, it has some implications. And so what does the Bible say about work and eternity? And, and it's really clear, if you think about it, what you believe determines how you will live. So what you believe about eternity in regard to what your work is, is going to make a difference on what you do this Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, whenever you work or whatever you do. Dallas Willard puts it this way, and I like these words. He says, we don't believe something by merely saying we believe it. Or even when we believe that we believe it. We believe something when we act as if it were true. You catch that? You can talk about what you believe. You can say, I believe what I believe. But not until you're in that place where you have to act on it. And when you do act on it, it shows you truly believe it. I believe when I come into a room that if I hit this light switch, it's going to turn on. So I act upon it. I don't just say I believe it. And when it comes to things of faith, you will find that the way you live and what you do with regard to your work in its implications with eternity will make a difference how you approach the way you work, whatever you do, any day of the week. And so what I want us to think about is, is this simple truth that what you believe about your work and its eternal significance, it is ultimately important. So what does the Bible say about that? And I just want you to think for a second. Your work has eternal significance. You don't realize that, but what you do on a daily basis, whatever it is you do, has eternal significance. And I want us to begin by looking at the Bible and saying, what does the Bible have to say about that? And I could choose a whole bunch of different passages, but I want us to look specifically at a passage found in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1-14. through 14. I'm going to read from the message just because it reads so much more like it probably might have been written in that day. 
but um, a gradient uh, translation of this is the New International Version. And we'll look at a couple of these verses in some of these other translations in a moment. But in, in, in chapter 3 of Second Peter, it's the second letter that Peter is writing to a group of people who are living in Asia Minor. They're under times of, of persecution and trial. He's writing to them specifically because of the fact that they're, they're wondering about the end times and, and what's going to happen. And Peter is one of those three of the inner ring apostles. You had Peter, James, and John, and they would often at times, Jesus would take them aside and they would get kind of an inside picture, sometimes of the miracles that Jesus was doing and sometimes of the teaching that he would do. When he went up and he was transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration, it was Peter, James, and John who were there. So Peter writes with this sense and understanding. He says in verse 1, he says, My dear friends, this is now the second time I've written to you both letters, reminders to hold your minds in a state of undistracted attention. Keep in mind what the holy prophet said and the command of our master, the Lord Jesus, our Savior, that was passed on by your apostles. First off, you need to know that in the last days, mockers are going to have a heyday. Reducing everything to the level of their puny feelings, they'll mock and say things like, so what's happened to the promise of his coming? Our ancestors are dead and buried and everything's going on just as it has from the first day of creation. Nothing's changed. So he's looking and he's saying, you know, you know, you talk about Jesus coming again, but I look around and nothing seems to change. It seems to go the same way it is over and over again. So in verse 5, he continues, he says, they conveniently forget that long ago, all the galaxies and this very planet were brought into existence out of the watery chaos by God's word. Then God's word brought, about, brought the chaos back in a flood that destroyed the world. So you get this picture of the, the earth is being formed, he separates the water and he creates the world. And then a little bit later in Genesis you see that through Noah a flood comes and destroys the world at that time. The current galaxies, he says, in the earth are fuel for the final fire. God is poised, ready to speak his word again, ready to give the signal for judgment and destruction of the desecrating skeptics. Don't overlook the obvious here, friends. With God, one day is as good as a thousand years and a thousand years as a day. God isn't late with his promise as some measure lateness. He is restraining himself on account of you, holding back the end because he doesn't want anyone lost. He's giving everyone space and time to change, or as it says, to repent and return to him. That little line reminds me of my dad, who, when my brother, who was two years older than me, and we would be fighting or getting in trouble, I would hear, and our dad had this characteristic, you know, when punishment was coming, the end was coming for us, he would count to 10. And we knew if he got to 10, we're in trouble. And he'd set out one, two, three. Boys, do you hear me? Four. Well, of course, we would be down there like that. Well, that's what he's saying here. Your father in heaven, if you haven't gotten things right with God, it's not because he's just, you know, this isn't true. You might even be here right now because the Holy Spirit is working on your heart and he wants you to come to a place where you know him and his presence and his love. 
He's waiting. He's giving time and space for you to change. But when the day of God's judgment does come, it'll be unannounced like a thief. The sky will collapse with a thunderous bang and everything disintegrating into a huge conflagration. Earth and all its works exposed to the scrutiny of judgment. Since everything here today might be well gone tomorrow, do you see how essential it is to live a holy life? Daily expect the day of God, eager for its arrival. The galaxy will burn up and the elements melt down that day, but we'll hardly notice. We'll be looking the other way, ready for the promised new heavens and the promised new earth, all landscaped, with righteousness. I love that picture. All landscaped with righteousness. So my dear friends, he says in verse 14, since this is what you have to look forward to, do your very best to be found living at your best in purity and peace. Now I grew up with a translation of the Bible, basically a paraphrase, which was the living Bible. It wasn't really the first Bible that I had. The first Bible I had was the King James Version. But the King James Version was really difficult for Kids, I mean, how many of you had a King James Version? It's Shakespearean English. So you're trying to understand Shakespeare and yet also the Word of God. And so eventually a guy says, I'm going to, you know, God laid on his heart and he wrote this paraphrase, Kenneth Taylor, and, and, and here's what it says. But sometimes the paraphrases get us a little confused because it says, The day of the Lord is coming as, unexpected, as unexpectedly as a thief, and then the heavens and will pass away with a terrible noise and the heavenly bodies will disappear in fire and the earth and everything on it will be burned up. So I had this view of the fact that the world is just going to, at a certain point, it's just going to be burned up all but tossed away. And then I had this view of heaven. Here I was, a little kid, and I was being taught about heaven, and heaven was a place where you go to, your loved ones go to when they die, and they go to be in heaven. And so as a little kid standing around, sometimes thinking, walking around, I would look up, as I, or lay on the ground and look up at the clouds, and I'd think of heaven being, you know, miles away, way out there somewhere. This whole idea that, that somehow, when I would think about heaven, it was something that was so far removed from anything I knew or experienced. But I would think of things like as a kid, you know, I think, boy, Kevin, it's got to be the place where, you know, you're always told that you get everything you want. So I was thinking it's all the candy you can eat in the world, all the ice cream you can eat, playing baseball, I could hit home runs every time, being a Cub fan, the way I'd win the World Series every year. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, you watch it this year. But what's really interesting is I continued to grow and as I was reading the word of God in the Bible, heaven remained in many ways a far off place that in my mind from what I had been taught would be abolished and someday just completely destroyed by fire. It would be, it would be burnt up and discarded on this, on this kind of world, on this universe's trash heap and, and it'd be done for. Kind of like, you know, there's nothing in fact about earth that's going to be in heaven. Except for maybe if I can make it kind of thing. Well, the NIV teaches this in a way when you read this and understand it, it gives you a better, in my opinion, understanding of what's happening. And this is where our work and all these things will have implications. And the NIV says the heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be, and it uses the word, 
laid bare. Some translations will use the word disclosed. And you go, how do you get from burning up and abolishing and everything being melted and destroyed to this idea that it's disclosed or laid bare? Well, you'll find as you read scripture, it is somewhat consistent. And at some point we'll read here a little bit later, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where Paul starts speaking about it. And it gives you this idea of what he means by burned up. Peter's point is not that the earth will be annihilated and destroyed, but rather it will be purified and healed. That's a whole different thought. There's a man named N.T. Wright. He writes a book called Surprised by Hope. It's titled, kind of subtitled, Rethinking Heaven, the Resurrection, and the Mission of the Church. And he says, the created order which God has begun to redeem in the resurrection of Jesus. So we see in the resurrection of Jesus something dramatically taking place. That's why Jesus is coming. The good news, um, and we're going to be doing a series called The Gospel coming up. So we're going to understand what is the gospel. But in the resurrection, something dramatically changes in time that will go on forever. He says... The world and heaven are designed not to be separated, but to come together. In that coming together, the very good that God spoke over creation at the beginning will be enhanced, not abolished. Okay, so you might be thinking the same thing. So what do you really mean by all this? See, as Peter looks into the future, he doesn't see some kind of complete, what I call discontinuity, between the past, as we might often think, in heaven in the future. There isn't this huge chasm between God's original creation and the new creation of the new heavens and earth. But he's making this point when he talks about burned up, disclosed, and and, and this idea of unveiled or laid bare. He's making this point that there will be a significant degree of continuity between the old heavens and earth and the new heavens and earth. So, so stick with me. This is, you know, I, I, I was talking, I, sometimes I go, this is kind of heavier teaching, okay? And you're okay. I don't care if you come from a different background. This is fine. We can discuss and talk about what you think about this. But he's talking about when you read scripture and you look at what First Peter chapter 3, um, 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 13 says, as he reiterates this truth, he says, but in keeping with his promise, this is the promise of God through Christ, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. I like that idea, landscaped with righteousness. Now, when you think about judgment, this is really in line with the way that God judges all throughout history, the the way that I'm explaining this here. If it is some kind of continuity between the old and then this new, and not this miles apart discontinuity, there's something interesting to think about with regard to creation, your work, other people, and your own life, which we'll talk about in a few moments. But when you think about it in this way, and you look at the way it is, the way God's judged throughout history, you see, as Peter says, that the earth was formed, and the waters were formed, divided, and, and God said it's really good, and at a certain point, sin became so rampant, and so, in a sense, it was like the earth was, you ever have like a fruit where it gets to the point where it's just so spoiled, there's hardly any of it you can save? That's what it was like, and God comes down and goes, I, you know, he, you read scriptures, I'd want to get rid of the whole thing, but he, here's what he does. He, through Noah, sends a flood. He doesn't obliterate and get rid of the whole earth, he sends a flood. And I look at it this way, he gives it a bath. Because he's got something here that he created that is good, that will go into eternity. Think about it with the cross and the judgment of the cross. 
When, 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 when God came and he, he wanted to purify us, he wanted to judge and get rid of the sin in our lives, he doesn't obliterate our bodies and everything about us. He actually comes in, he says, through the washing of the Spirit of God and through the fire of the Spirit of God, he burns out, like you would precious metal, the dross, the sin, the effects of it, and all that would hinder it because what he has made us in that sense he said was very good, but it has become stained and obliter and, 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 and there's effects of sin on it. So through the cross, he comes and he says he will forgive you. He will remove the sin in your life and create in you a new person. And this new person inhabits this body. Jesus at one point says in John 15, the gardener comes off and he, he lops off everything that hinders and doesn't bear fruit. But that which bears fruit, he says he what? He trims clean. He takes away that which is hindered so that it can become more fruitful. So when you think even about the body of Jesus, I think it's really incredible. Jesus goes through this resurrection. He comes back. He comes to Thomas. And what does he say? Thomas, you're going to recognize me. There is obviously some continuity between my body here that was here that you saw and my body that is in this resurrected form. Look at my hands and see the marks. Take a look at my side where you see the spear went. Now that's an interesting thought. There's some continuity. And here's Peter's point. When it comes to the final judgment, and he's talking about the fire, he's not talking about burning up and throwing it on a trash heap. He's talking about getting rid of, just like you would precious metal, all the dross, all the things that hinders all that God had intended. And he says, what is of God, and all we are, and all that we do, your work, the things you do every day, all who you are, and the things you do in the name of Christ have some kind of eternal impact. Somehow there's some continuity of what you're doing through the week. How it all works, I don't understand, but scripture makes this point. And Peter's point is the present earth and heavens will be purified from the ravaging effects of sin in the entire earth. Think about this. The entire earth, says Paul in Romans 8, groans for this day to be revealed when it is made right and the earth is renewed. If the entire creation is groaning, it's not groaning so it can be put out of its misery and be obliterated. It's groaning because what was created is someday going to be made new. So now you have to think about of this word, and we're looking very... Stay with me, because we're teaching here. He's using the word new. And this word that he uses in this verse 13 is incredibly important. In keeping with this promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where it's adorned, it's landscaped, righteousness fills it. You could translate the word new, renewed heaven and renewed earth. There's two Greek words that could be used here that Peter could have used. One of the words for new is the word naas. The other word is the word kainos. Peter happens to choose the word kainos. If he was planning to use the word naas and he wanted to get across the idea that it would be obliterated and something brand new would be made, he would use the word naas. He doesn't use that. In fact, if you go and look in um, the dictionaries, uh, uh, Greek dictionaries, you'll find that naas refers to recently born, young, youthful, brand new kind of idea. You look at the word kainos, it's a very interesting word. In respect to form, it means it's fresh, it's unused, it's unworn. 
As respect to substance, it's of a new kind, it's unprecedented, it's, it's novel, it's uncommon, it's unheard of. Those are all the kind of ways it's explained. There is this sense, when you look at the body of Christ, which has now been resurrected and translated, it's this enhanced body, still con- there's some continuity between the two, but it is really, in a sense, uniquely different. It's renewed. That's the idea that Peter is trying to get across. The renewed heavens and the renewed earth will be purified and this earth will be experienced and known in a way that is completely enhanced, unheard of. We just don't get it. So why did I tell you all this? Because there's some incredible implications as a result to understanding this. What you believe, whether you say it or you say you believe it, will really show up by the way you act. Right? So the first thing I want you to think about, if if our work really does matter, whatever it is that you're doing, it matters according to the word of God for eternity. We know that from the word of God. So what does that mean? There are eternal implications for creation itself. This creation will be renewed. We're told in Genesis that we're called to work, tend this. The whole idea was that we were to be image bearers and we would take this creation, which was in the form of a garden, and we would see God through us, develop this in such a way that it was kind of like a garden that we were going to manicure and make and and we're going to see all kinds of fruitfulness from it. Your work in what you do and where you are at, you are tending in that same kind of way. And what you are doing there, I don't understand it fully again, but what you're doing there according to the word of God has some eternal implications. It goes into eternity in some way. And so when you think about creation itself, then I think of it this way. Some people live thinking about creation. If you think of it being put on this garbage heap, this, you know, being abolished and annihilated and, 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 and no good any longer, it's the way I lived with, like, an, anybody have an old car with a lot of dents on it? Now, if you have a new car that's brand new, you don't want one dent on it, right? And the first time you see a nick or anything, you're kind of going, oh, man. But when you got the old car, you know, another dent doesn't really matter. What God is saying is, this earth isn't some old dented up thing that you don't need to take care of and it doesn't matter. This is my creation. And it is going to be renewed. I will come in. I will purify it. I'll take out all the dents, all this, but I want you in the same way to take care of it. In the same way you can think about your own body. You could kind of say, well, if it's all going to be burnt up anyway, who cares how I take care of it? It's going to go in a grave. It's just going to be... But somehow, in some way, God says your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. It is the place where the Spirit of God dwells in this time, in this life. And also, in some way, there's some continuity. There's something that goes into eternity. I don't get it. In the same way with creation. It is meant to have been the presence and the place and the temple of the Holy Spirit. The whole day of the Sabbath rest, when you look at the whole Genesis narrative, is this idea that God comes to dwell in this place. So how do we take care of it? How do you take care of this creation? How do you take care of your body? There are also eternal implications concerning our work. 
Tom Nelson is a free church pastor. He writes a book and it's called Work Matters. And he says, like fire and its purifying effect on precious metals such as gold and silver, so too will God's original creation be purified. Now he, he says, writing to the church at Corinth, Paul applies the imagery of fiery judgment to the individual human works done in the name of God. Paul writes this, and he's not talking about pastors and missionaries. He's talking about common, everyday people in the jobs that you're doing. He says, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it. Isn't that interesting that Paul is using the similar word that that Peter uses? He says, the day will disclose it, unveil it. Make it laid bare because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test the idea, prove what sort of work each one has done. The fiery judgment of our world as well as our individual work seems to suggest there will be considerable carryover from God's original creation to his new creation of the new heavens and the new earth. Now pay attention to this, uh, I, I like this, what he says. When we bin, begin to grasp the transforming truth that the future destiny of our work in our world is not complete annihilation, but a radical healing, it changes how we view our daily work. If we believe that the earth is simply going to be abolished and disappear, then the logical conclusion is that our work is virtually meaningless. Why should we work hard? Make a tasty meal. Learn a new skill. Run a business. Write a piece of music or design a building. If everything with will one day be consumed by fire and discarded, it would, be, it would make sense to work only enough to survive and to simply get by, he says. But if our daily work done for the glory of God and for the common good of others in some ways carries over to the new heavens and new earth, then our present work, your work itself, is overflowing with the immeasurable value and eternal significance. I grew up like Tom Nelson with this view of what Paul Marshall, this guy named Paul Marshall, he talks about lifeboat theology. When he talks about the end times, it's that whole idea that, you know, it, it's kind of like you're on that Titanic. And, and, and you know what happens at Titanic? It hits the iceberg and it goes down and you try and get everybody into lifeboats and just save the people, right? He says there's a lot of theology that is kind of like that. It's the idea that, that the earth, this creation is like the Titanic and this good world of God hits an iceberg of sin. It's irrevocably doomed. And what we end up doing with our life is who cares about our work? Who cares about creation? Who cares about anything? Our whole job is to try and get as many people in the lifeboat as possible. You have that kind of theology? Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to get people in the lifeboats. I'm just saying that's not necessarily what Scripture seems to say. God is, is not only concerned about the survival of people. He cares about the creation. He cares about your work because it has impact on other people. It has eternal impact. That's why Paul indicates when he writes in Colossians 3, 23 through 24, whatever you do, work with it at all, with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for a bunch of human masters, since you know that you will receive, and here's the word, an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. The word inheritance is a word of faithfulness. His point is this, as you work, are you faithful to what he is calling you to do in, an, in, in your work, whatever it is, Daily. There's a reward. Much of what many of us do with our lives is we care for our Father's world. We make things, we fix things, we care for things, we serve others. 
And what scripture makes really clear is what you do here now is not a waste. The skills and the abilities you are developing in the workplace, guess what? They're not going to be wasted. They'll be utilized and further developed in the future work God has for you to do in the new heavens and new earth. Don't understand it. I, I was going to share with you, um, don't have time under this whole implications of creation, that some of the stuff that physicists are coming up with today, there's one scientist who, uh, he says, scientists are, are making discovery upon discovery only to find that someday as they get to the top of the scientific hill, sitting at the top are a bunch of theologians who long ago understood what science is now unveiling. There's a guy who writes a, just a thin little book, Carlo Rovelli, an Italian guy, it's a, it's a bestseller now, and it's called Seven Brief Lessons on Physics. And he, and he just talks about the fact that you have quantum physics and, and you have theory of relativity and all these different things and how they all have their own rules. They, they don't seem to work. And Oh, I could go into... I, I won't, anyway, I won't bore you with this. But the reality is the things that we're talking about here, physicists are beginning to go, there could be this eternal now. They're starting to wonder under this dark matter and all this stuff. I don't understand it. I don't understand how the body of Jesus shows marks and then he comes back in this enhanced body that walks through walls. But we don't have to understand what scripture says is true. We just have to know that it's true and act upon it so that we begin to say this creation matters for some reason. Something is, there's a continuity that's going from here to here. This work that I'm doing, the skills I'm learning, the things that I'm doing in this place, somehow this work is going to, some, there's going to continuity that's going to be used some in heaven. We get this idea we're going to get to heaven someday and we're going to stand around and we're going to be playing harps and, and we don't know any, that it's going to be all new. I don't think so, folks. I think some of the memories, some of the things you have that are good, that are now no longer in any way impacted by sin, we're, physically, is even starting to say this. There's something about the fact that there is a continuity, folks. To me, that's a great hope. And not only is there implications when it comes to, to the, the, the creation and the work that you're doing, but, and we know this one very well usually as, as evangelicals, there are implications, eternal ones, concerning others. So we work knowing that others around us matter. David Platt, who's written a number of books, and in the IF conference about a year ago, he gave some great advice to people when they were talking about this whole idea of, of work. He says, where you are, here's three things to remember. Recognize the unique place God has put you. Don't ever think that you're there by accident. For such a time as this, God is using you potentially in the life of someone else you may never know. He says, secondly, realize that what at stake for those around you. We are talking about eternity. eternity. So live in such a way, and when there's opportunities, tell them about the love of Jesus. And he says, remember the simple purpose God has given you. Here's, here's what you're called to do. To love God and to love others. What you do in love, out of faith, and in hope will remain. Because Paul says three things in 1 Corinthians 13, 13. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. So whatever you do in faith, where you work, in Jesus remains. Whatever you do in hope, with an eye toward eternity, remains. Whatever you do in love, for anyone, remains. There's a great story someone sent me. I didn't read this book, but it's by a guy named John O'Leary. It's called On Fire. And he shares about... John O'Leary was about nine years old when he was in his home and there was a house fire. And uh, they, 
rescued him, got him to the hospital. His body had over, a, over 100% of his body was burned. And the doctors basically that evening told his parents he's not going to make it through the night. So in his book, John O'Leary recounts this, this book on fire. And, and he, he tells a story about when he was laying there, when he was first there, laying in the hospital bed. And he says the doctor stood beside his bed and the doctor turned to, there was a man next to him. He didn't know, O'Leary didn't know who the man was. But this man was next to him going on rounds with the doctor. And the doctor says to the guy, take a good look at this little boy. You see him lying there? Lavelle, which was his name, the doctor says, you're keeping him alive. You're doing this. This is the result of your good work. Thank you, Lavelle. And then he would take them from round to round to each of these different um, patients in their beds. O'Leary continues his story. He says, at the time, I didn't really know what the doctor was talking about. I didn't know the number one killer of burn victims is infection, and infection kills in hospitals. And, and when you have no skin, it's highly likely that infection could have killed me. It's why my parents and brother had to cover their entire body, head to toe, in those yellow suits, and they were designed to prevent germs from reaching me. And he says, while the doctors, they did all they could to prevent infection, the most important person to diminish the likelihood of infection wasn't a doctor or a nurse. It wasn't my parents or my brother. The most important person, he said, when he had him go from round to round, because he wanted him to know this, was the janitor, Lavelle. He said, Lavelle, I want you to know how important what you do is here. Because a clean room is a safe room. And, and, and O'Leary reflects back on this. He says, my doctor knew this even more. He knew the importance of purpose. Lavelle had many re- rooms to clean, yet the doctor made him come on his rounds to remind him of how important his task was in these other people's lives. And all too often, we get all caught up in our daily tasks and the humdrum of what we're doing. And, and when we do that, we often forget what the Word of God has to tell us, that our efforts are a part of something much greater, eternal. And every job that's undertaken, every task that's been assigned to you, every responsibility that you assume, it matters. It matters for eternity. So um, O'Leary asks this question. He says, do you believe this? Do you believe that your work matters? Your parenting matters. Your grandparenting matters. The way you love your spouse matters. The volunteer work you do in a retirement place matters. The way you treat a stranger matters. Everything we do matters. Our lives are sacred. There are no small players. There are no small tasks. He says, my medical team was exceptional. It was led by a doctor, widely regarded for, as one of the best in the world. The nurses, respiratory therapists, pharmacists, dietitians, technicians, the entire staff all did their jobs flawlessly. Volunteers, visitors, the community uh, visitors, the community prayed, but one mighty reason I survived was because there was a janitor who was driven not by a task, but by a why. He was motivated not by a paycheck, but he was motivated by a boy's life. He knew what he did was important, and it mattered. And if I could, I'd love to be, I'd love for the Holy Spirit, and maybe the Holy Spirit's doing it right now, would come around you, just like that doctor, and he would say to you, right where you're at, you need to know that what you're doing, It matters. So work at it with all your heart. Give yourself to it. Allow God to work through you in it because it will matter for eternity. How and what it looks like, you will someday find out. And then there are implications for you. The final one, eternal implications for you and who you're becoming. These are some words again from Dallas Willard. I I put them in a book. I have some sayings that I just like to read from time to time and this is one of them I read. 
He says the most important thing in your life is not what you do or what you achieve. It's who you become. That's what you will take into eternity. Think about that for a second. Who you are becoming. Are you growing in love? Are you becoming more honest and truthful? Are you growing in your ability to serve and to really see other people? That's what he said. And I love that you will bring and take into eternity. So I just want to share, what, what, whatever you do, just never forget that your work matters. You're here to build the kingdom of God here on earth. And when Christ returns, I don't think he's expecting us to be staring fearfully into the sky. And I got to tell you, with the world situation the way it is, it's really easy to get into this, kind of just get us off this planet. Right? But Jesus said he expects us to see us busy at work. Loving, serving, proclaiming his grace and his goodness to all who are willing to listen and turn to him. Because the day is coming when this, when this part, which we don't understand how the continuity will be, will become a whole. And I'm going to read to you in closing these words from N.T. Wright again in his book, Surprised by Hope, where he describes what our role is in the world. And it's important. He says, but we, what we can and must do in the present, where we're at right now, if we are obedient to the gospel, if we are following Jesus, and if we are indwelt and energized and directed by the Spirit, is to build, to work for the kingdom. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight says it well. What you do in the Lord is not in vain. It matters. You are not oiling wheels on a machine that's about to roll over a cliff. You're not restoring a great painting that's shortly going to be thrown on the fire. You're not planting roses in a garden that's about to be dug up for a building site. Don't you feel that way at times? You are, strange though it may seem, almost as hard as it is to believe as the resurrection itself, accomplishing something that will become in due course part of God's new world. Every act of love, gratitude, and kindness, every work of art or music inspired by the love of God and delight in the beauty of his creation, every minute spent teaching a severely handicapped child to read or to walk, every act of care and nurture, of comfort and support for one's fellow human beings and for that matter, for one's fellow non-human creatures. And of course, every prayer, all spirit-led teaching, every deed that spreads the gospel, builds up the church, embraces and embodies holiness rather than corruption, and makes the name of Jesus honored in all the world. All this will find its way, all this will find its way through the resurrecting power of God into the new creation that God will one day make. Because your work matters. And you matter. I'm going to just share with you and end this with this this little video. It's um, not profoundly theological. But it's just the fact that they make this statement, you never know where one little act of kindness will lead. So as we play that, please watch it. And then the team would come for worship.